0: There you'll be able to find our schedule with our upcoming masterclass for you to join. On with today's show. Oh, hello rebel. Are you still
1: waiting to optimize the website of yours to bring all the best leads to your new or old online home? Well, I have something to help you do just that. Hostinger is changing the game with their managed WordPress hosting. It's like having a dedicated WordPress butler handling all the nitty gritty website business for you. Of course, I took Hostinger's Manage WordPress for a spin and it's a game changer. It's fast, it's secure and loaded with premium features all without the premium price tag, they got your back with updates, backups, and top-notch security, AKA peace of mind. This is a performance powerhouse for your WordPress site. Lightning-fast load times, rock-solid uptime, and a user-friendly control panel. Whether you are a WordPress newbie or a seasoned pro, Hostinger has you covered. Ready to elevate your WordPress experience? Zoom over to hostinger.com slash AMS and use the promo code AMS to snag 10% off and claim your free domain transform your WordPress journey today. On with today's class. What if I told you that personalization is less about variables and more about serving your audience the right way? Today, I'm joined by an amazing guest, Brennan Dunn, to talk just about that. Hey, Rebels, it's Fab here, your marketing BFF and head teacher at Old Marketing School, a modern school teaching you how to market to hearts. Today, have we not got the guest teacher of dreams? And I say so because yes, I'm gonna be fangirling because I've been a big fan of Brennan Dunn for a long time. Not only is the author of This Is Personal, his new book, is also the founder of Write Message and the creator of Write and Sell, one of my favorite newsletters. And what it does, it really helps businesses personalize their marketing in a powerful way. So whether you are just getting started and dipping your toes in personalization, or you already have knowledge and you want to upscale and you want to even grow when it comes to your personalization journey and systems. We're going to give you lots of case studies, examples, and even a peek behind the scenes of some of the ways the brand himself uses personalization for his business. Are you ready to get started? May today's class begin. Hello, Brennan. and I have a question. Go for it, Fab. So we're both authors right now, which kind of feels good to say. You were an author before, but now we're both published author from traditional publishers. And we also are a lot of other things, both of us. I absolutely love, just already through references, that my dear listener is going to be like, oh God, do I need to look at newsletters? Yes, a reference to one of your newsletters, you talk about having three businesses in one. So I think today there's going to be a lot of conversation about different strands of what you do. But on top of that, obviously, we're a lot of things. And so I was wondering, not now, but then, what did you want to do? What did you want to be when you were a child? Did you have a dream job, a dream career or anything like that that stood out for you? Yeah,
2: it has zero to do with what I'm doing today. I um actually <laughs> I, w- I went to uni for uh to study the classics. So I studied uh Greek and Roman stuff and uh read a lot about read the original read Plato and Aristotle in the original and everything like that and I uh, thought I'd be an academic at a university like a place like Cambridge which you're close to and thought I'd just be one of those tweed-wearing professors but life had other plans.
1: Do you think you got anything out of of the academic slash learning slash teaching? Again, I know there's different areas of it. Background that you think still has translated in some of the stuff that you do today or nothing at all, looking at lateral things, you know?
2: I think I got a lot because the the school I went to, it was called a great book school. So everything, there was no textbooks. It was all original sources and everything was discussion-based. So... Uh, going to class was you sitting around a table with 12 other people and discussing a piece of literature. And I think the needing to be critically, needing to critically discuss a, a you know piece of text and having my entire university education based on that, I think actually helped a lot. I think um, it's, it's, it helped me with really understanding the why of most of the things I'm trying to do. Like, you know, why is this being done? What what are we trying to achieve with this? And to be meta, when it comes to marketing, I probably learn more from uh, writers like Plato than I have with most like direct marketer type people.
1: So I love that. And one of the reasons why I love that is because On a parallel level, because it's not exactly the same, but I studied uh, more modern literature. I studied Russian and English literature at uni and language. I found that there was so many interesting ways that you could look at some pieces of literature, going all the way from Shakespeare, all the way to more uh, thinking about the English one, but even the Russian one, which for me was very fascinating. And it's kind of interesting to see how actually, as you mentioned, that critical reflection that we used to do. And if there's any other listener who is a language or a literature graduate, you know what I'm talking about. If you are in marketing or you are into a creative space, I find that sometimes I go back without realizing into the way that I was thinking. And as you say, the critical thinking, looking at research, like despite not being a a data-driven, not career I was going to say, but like a university career, neither of us, I found that I found myself into a data-driven universe and I enjoy it and I wasn't expecting it. And I know that you look a lot at data segmentation, obviously is part of it. So it's kind of interesting how something that has nothing to do with data actually can bring some of that. And then I can see how what I know has helped me almost interpret it, if that makes sense.
2: It does. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to go on with that, like a lot of the the great authors, I think that we all look up to, I mean, they were all trained in the art of rhetoric, which isn't really something a lot of people talk about, but that is persuasion. You know, the word sophisticated in English comes from the Greek word sophistry which sophists were people who would go and kind of professionally persuade people. They'd stand up in the public square and try to convince people, usually of like a philosophic truth, not buying a product, but same rules apply. You know, if you're like me and you don't think human psychology has really changed and since we kind of evolved, then, (laughs) you know, it's amazing just how everything interconnects and, and how what's old is new.
1: And I love that you mentioned that because I found eventually a shift within marketing to actually rekindle with the idea that psychology in the way that humans think is a driver for our decision which when we say out loud is like derp of course Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but I think that from an experience of somebody who's been in marketing for 15 years myself at least We didn't talk about it enough and we kind of saw all the tactics and all the things and a lot of what you do, especially with with your book and also with everything you do is there's the element of personalization and understanding your audience and behaviors as well, as well as what they tell you. And I think eventually we're getting back to having that conversation and people are listening. But it's been interesting as historically for my 15 years, it's something that I think we knew intuitively, but nobody talked about as a priority. Maybe it's just me, and I don't know if that was also your experience. Having actually been in the space for a long time, you know.
2: No, you're exactly right. I mean, I think a lot of us, when we, when we decided we were professional marketers, we um, we looked at marketing frameworks and you know, AIDA and kind of ways to write headlines and this and that. But it, it's kind of unless you know, unless you've really understand. I think human psychology and what makes us tick. All the frameworks are great, but you need you need both. I think is what I'm trying to get at, and and I think you're right that it is. I'm I'm glad to see that it is becoming more of a, you know. I think I think a lot of us are realizing that we could learn a lot from psychologists and 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 people like that about how how to better sell.
1: There's something that actually, I love that you mentioned that, something that I heard in a podcast recently that was about actually being more mindful about the way that we consume the content that we consume. And to me, because I'm a lover of emails, just as much as yours, I've mentioned it a few times, creating sales, just for it in that. I did warn him that I was going to be fangirling, so Brennan and I am. But anyway, like your newsletters, like others, I really look at them and think, okay, why does this piece of content actually speak to me? Why did I stop to think about it? And it was talked as mindful scrolling or mindful consumption. And I think that's another thing that we're relearning to do, especially as marketers. There's a bigger push on creating in so many ways and iterating, which which I love. But I think it's just also going back and thinking about why am I connecting with this type of content? And just kind of to tie in with our class in session, how much do you think that also can be helped with the element of getting personal? See when I did that and personalization.
2: I I think, I think a lot, let's talk really quickly about the word personalization, what we're, what we're getting at with that. I think you look at a lot of marketing websites for email platforms and they all say they have personalization as like a thing. But I think a lot of us make the mistake of thinking personalization is inserting variables in messaging rather than reshaping messaging. So, you know, I I don't look at personalization as being like, hi, first name, hi, fab, or something like that. I look at personalization as being, if I know this about the person on the receiving end, how can I reshape the entire discussion I have with them in a way that makes what I have to say really personally relevant to them? Because if I do that right, they're more likely to give me a chance and to read what I have to send them. And if they are more engaged, they're more likely to click the buy now button and you know that that's that's what we want to do. Yeah, I mean, w- w- with personalization, I think like for me at least, the big eye opener, and we were we were kind of both uh, geeking out on Kathy Sierra before the call, who is one of my favorite marketers. I actually think that a lot of what I'm doing now with personalization came from her blog, which was called Head Rush, I think it was. I, I don't. I think it still exists. Yeah. So this early blog post of hers where she talked about this this project her consulting firm did for this car dealership where there would be a kiosk in the showroom. And then it would, the first thing it would do is it would ask you, what do you care most about in a car? Is it performance? Is it safety? Is it reliability? And if you chose like safety every way, whenever it would like show you the different models that they had in the showroom, they'd have like pictures of like babies in car seats and stuff and, and, and things like that. Right. Whereas if he chose performance, the focus would be on how fast their cars are and this and that, and their engine specs. And like a, a dad who just wants to buy a thing to bring the family around doesn't care about, well, maybe some do, but like if you care about safety, you don't really care as much about like probably the engine specs as somebody who cares about performance would. So to to come full circle, what I'm getting at is if we can find ways of better understanding our audience individually, not just collectively, we can then send better information and that's what i think you and i are are getting at when we drop terms like personalization around which in a vacuum might not make a lot of sense and like as, as it means like what are we talking about right so
1: this is my little happy dance. Whenever somebody says something I like, I really do a happy dance. So the listener cannot see it unless you're watching on YouTube. But I'm doing my happy I dance. I can confirm and... there was
2: a happy dance. It just occurred.
0: <laughs> it was really tight today as well. Sometimes it's a bit more
1: flamboyant. There's a tight little happy dance. Because what I love about everything you said, but there's something that really spoke to me, which was the idea of understanding that personalization is not for the sake of personalization, which is what when you are beginning to look at it as... um as as a as a I'm gonna say it's inclusion in your strategy even more than a tactic or a technique. I'm gonna literally say it would be good if it was part of the strategy instead of like an extra tick. We think, as you say, variables. We think about, you know, it's good to make sure that you know we address the person or that we do little things to make sure that they can feel like we're speaking to them. But as you say, that's not the bottom line or the reason why we should do it. Is then everything else around it, the little things and I know that you mentioned in another podcast as well, things like, even if it's just changing a specific quote, like you mentioned for this example with Cathy's as well, it's changing a couple of pictures. It doesn't have to be huge, but is the little things that make a difference. And I'm actually excited now to get personal again. Sorry, I'm not going to do it all the time. That's the name of your book, so I'm going to stop doing that. But I want to get into class in session, and I'm going to ask you the first question, because I think there will be something here that can start and kick off a bit more of a deeper dive into personalization, which is our first question from class in session, which is, what is one thing that you can teach Brennan, our students and dear listener, in one minute or less related to personalization? The
2: one thing I'd recommend is, let's say you have an audience of any sort, say email list. Find out, if you don't know this yet, find out why they follow you, why, why they're listening to you. And this could be something as simple as sending an email to your list that says, hey, 2024 is around the corner. We're recording this in November, so 2024 is around the corner. We would love to know, or I'd love to know how I can best help you in the new year. Would you mind replying to this email in a sentence or two about what it is you need from me? Like, what what do you need me? If I could write the perfect newsletter for you, what would that need to be about? What do you want me to produce more content about next year? You do that, you're going to get a, hopefully a good amount of responses. And that's the start of everything we're probably going to be talking about is if you can then take these raw responses, come up with a set of themes, and then start to think, how do I automatically say this person fits that profile, this person fits that profile, so that when I talk to them in the future at scale, I can say, hey, here's an interesting example that's going to resonate really strongly with you. Or it might not resonate at all with somebody else on my list.
1: Well done for almost keeping it on time as well. Over, you were really tight. Did I, I, was saying, <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was saying to you, like, usually we kind of see then people threading, and which is great, into the excitement piece, but I like that you kept it tight. And I want to actually double down on that because... Once again, the fun girl comes out, but there's a reason. In our student community, we look at ideas and tactics and and things and experiments, I like to call them as well, that other creators and other founders and other marketers have tried. And there's a couple of yours that came came up and actually in the community. And one of the ones that I mentioned that I want to go back to, because I think it ties with this, just to put it even more into practice, is something that you were doing, maybe you are still doing, but I remember that you mentioned in one of the newsletters, which was, Again, that kind of sorting and like light segmenting from the beginning when it comes to the welcome sequence that then led into some sort of, yes, still fresh emails, but also some sequences or some emails that were more automated based on people's interests or, or behaviors or kind of what they were looking for. And I think that's a really interesting breakdown. It might be a bit advanced for some of the listeners, but I think it's also an example of what can be done, especially if somebody's like, yes, guys, I know about personalization. I understand this. I want to also remind people that there are ways that it can also make your work Easier and it's not just going to be an addition of time and resources because I know what my listener is thinking is thinking, oh God, this seems like I've more, more to homework. do right now. Yes.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, yeah. I
1: love that. I don't know if you're still doing that as well. Is something that you still have set up or you kind of shift it that. Yeah,
2: do you, do you want me to quickly explain how, how that yeah, all works? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. When you go to one of my websites is createandsell.co. It's a twice-weekly newsletter. And when you join the email list, instead of the thank you page saying go check your email. Instead, I show a very quick survey that is all multiple choice. So it's not fill out a form. It's just click the buttons. Like, why did you join? Like, what is the number one thing you want me to help you with? What email platform do you use? And so on. It's a very simple survey. I get about 84, 85% of all new people who join completing that. And I make it very clear in the text surrounding the survey that first, it's going to take them maybe 15 seconds to complete. So it's not a lot of time. and second if they can share this with me, I can send them better information that's more relevant to them. So I think by doing that, it makes people more willing to do the thing. So I get almost everyone uh, or the overwhelming majority of people complete that. And then what I do is I have a very short welcome sequence that's a series of emails that just kind of like introduces them to the email list, introduces them to me and so on. But what I do is I, I pivot around three things. So in the survey, I find out, what is it you need my help with right now? Is it, do you want help with building your audience? So growing your email list? Do you want help with automating how you do your email marketing? Or do you want help with turning more subscribers into customers? So those are the three kind of groups I put people in. So if you choose like say automation, what I do is in the welcome emails, my focus on those emails, and you're right, it's not that I have like a ton of emails that I've written, written. I just changed things like the list of bullet points about what they're going to learn from me, you know, chose automation. They're going to get a few bullet points of like, here's how I plan on helping you better automate your email marketing. And then I'll mention like, there will be a paragraph at the top that that is specific to my, my experience and my expertise as somebody who's pretty decent now with email automation. So that's what I've done is I've made it so the welcome sequence itself changes slightly depending on what your focus on or is. But the big thing that is what you are getting at is I've been writing for three and a half years uh, for that newsletter now. So I have a lot and that's been weekly. So I have like 150 pieces of content that if you join today that I've already sent out that you probably would never see. So what I've done is I've gone through and I've got a big Google Doc and listed every piece of content that I've sent. And then I just started grouping it into which one makes sense for automation, email, like which one's about automation, which one's about audience growth, which one's about sales. So those are the three kind of groupings that I did. And then I org or prioritized them in a way that my best stuff ever about audience, like if you're on the audience section or the audience group, um, I would sort it so that the best audience stuff I've ever sent is at the top. Likewise for sales, the best emails I've ever, ever sent about sales are at the top and so on. So what happens is is if you join my list today and your focus is on audience growth, you get the welcome sequence that's very focused on audience growth and how I plan on helping you. And then for the next four or five months, every Tuesday, you're going to get an email from me about audience growth. On Thursdays, you're going to get another email from me, but that's my live email. So you get two emails from me a week. The Tuesday one is evergreen, but it's specific to what you've shared with me. And then the Thursday email is whatever happened to be sending that week. And then what I happen to be sending that week gets added to one of those three different tracks. So that's basically what I've done is I've made it so I can, if push came to shove, I wouldn't need to write an email in a given week. And most people would then get that Tuesday email, but I try to make it so every Thursday rain or shine, I do send an email. Yeah. It just allows me to have a twice weekly newsletter, but really with the effort of only sending emails out once a week and people love it because they're getting, again, if their focus is on audience growth, it's like, Hey, they're getting an email every single week for me about audience growth. And yeah, it ended up being pretty straightforward to architect and set it all up and convert it. But I think it I, I've heard from people that it's, they appreciate the fact that I individually profiled, what are they struggling with? And then I'm sending them relevant content about that.
1: So much goodness. I'm going to highlight a few things and then I'm going to get back to a couple of points. I want to highlight a couple of things that you mentioned because there was a lot and I think at different levels. One of the things that I really love was the idea of the nurturing piece because obviously, realistically speaking, I mean, you could potentially with the amount of emails that you have, but, you know, we, can, we probably wouldn't be able to architect six years' worth of these Tuesday emails. But even just the fact that for the first four or five months, people have on top of that fresh email, they have an extra email that is very much tailored to them. I think really helps with the nurturing stage because, once again, I find that there's a bit of time dysmorphia sometimes. We forget that just because people get one weekly email from us it doesn't mean that we might build the trust for the specific problem they have, that pain point. So you actually having just an email for the pain point every single week for 12, 16 weeks. I think it's so powerful. So just wanted to highlight that. And then, again, dear loyal listener, you're going to laugh. Systems, yay. So uh, (laughs) any students from our um, email marketing lab, whether they're our community, uh, All Access Pass, or just students, will know that within the system that we help you set up, there is um a backlog of your emails and i really encourage and i know it sounds like doubling the work but it's similar to what you do especially if you put a lot of time and effort and there are very conversational emails we encourage in notion in this case but you can use google as well to just put that copy there because you don't know when you're going to need it. and if you categorize it like brennan does whether you do it because one of our students and you use you know our lab and what we built for you or you just do it on your own i think it's actually a very undertapped backlog of content that people don't think about enough. We talk about blog posts a lot, maybe social content, but we don't think about our emails and it's great that they live in places like ConverKit and I love ConverKit like you do. But God damn it, the archive is a mess. So if I have to look out to find out, yeah, a little shout yeah. out, but also let them know, it's going to be a nightmare. We've used that as well for years and we send lots of emails. And I'll be like, why am I going to find that specific email on that topic? So just wanted to know these two things that first of all, I love the nurturing piece and the backlog. like again, there was a happy dance internally this time for the systems. And then I have a question slash note. I could go down so many, so many places. Like we could chat for six hours. At some point somebody will be bored, but I will keep talking about these things. <laughs> Emails and personalization. I, I'm i I'm here. I'm, I'm I'm, here forever. Anyway, we talked about that welcome email, slash, sorry, the post welcome section and page, which I've I imagine you still do it Right Message, which is one of your companies. So maybe you can talk us a bit about that form as well, because if people don't know you that well, I think it's good to mention that as one of the things that you do. But I was wondering, would you say that actually, you said there's 85% to 84% likelihood they're going to answer that form? And then you give us another tactic a bit earlier, or tip, about doing this with your existing audience as well. Let's say one of our dear listeners is like, this is a great idea to actually segment my people better, but I'm afraid that if I want to segment the people already have in my list, if I'm going to send them this form or this survey, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to do it because I'm asking them to do something or to do too much. So if somebody was like, is it actually worth the while for me to do something like this with my current audience? Or should I just worry about the new subscribers? What would you say to them? I hope it makes sense. as that question I was trying to put myself you know, into there.
2: No, it makes perfect sense. So ultimately, you're going to have, you have two, unless you're starting out from scratch, you've got your existing list and then you have your new people joining every day. So if today you set up your thank you page to segment people, excellent. You're going to start getting a, a good chunk of people segmented. But you're right. What about the people already there? So the this is a very common thing that we've, we most recently helped uh, Justin Welsh do this. He's got a list of about 180,000 people. He started uh, using us to do the, post opt in serving but he had like a lot of people <laughs> who were already on his list uh, that he wanted to get segmented. So he sent a very simple email that said hey i'd love to basically serve you better. The the big things are i think two things like i mentioned before need to be in this email. Just like they need to be on the thank you page messaging, which is i want to give you better stuff. I want to increase the ratio of signal relative to noise. So if i can give you like more specific stuff, more specific whatever, that's a win for you. Second thing is you want to convey that this is not going to take a ton of time. So I make it very clear, like a good, when I do the kind of surveying I recommend, which is the structural segmentation surveys, you're not getting people to fill in giant text areas. Because I think when people see a giant form of like fill in the blank with lots and lots of like text fields, that's overwhelming. I think a, a simple email like that, where you say, look, I want to help you legitimately just create better content for you. If I could learn a bit about why you're here and what you need for me that'll let me do that. Click here, done. Ideally what you want to be doing too is you want to make it so there's very little friction. So one thing you mentioned write message, that's my tool. One thing that we've built into the product itself is I hate it when I click from an email to a survey and I need to type in my email address again. I know it's stupid, but I just don't like I'm like, you know my email, you just emailed me. One thing that we always do and we we recommend people do is find a way to pass along that email address to the, uh, to the survey page. And then you can then attach what they share with you to, you know, to their contact record. That's kind of the, the thing you can do where it's just a simple broadcast email. You can send a few, you can send one and then like a week or two later, send it again. You're, the, the problem is always gonna be the response rates are always gonna be so much lower than you would on post opt-in. Usually it's like 20, 30% if you're lucky so it is a bit of an uphill battle, but you can also like include in your new usual newsletters, like have a conditional like thing included that says if they're, if they haven't done the survey yet, have a, Hey, I'd love to find out more about you click here and just keep doing that in every newsletter until they do it. And then that goes away. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things you can do. Obviously nothing is like when they just said, you may email me, here's my email address, click submit. Then they're a lot more willing at that point to do something like, "Great, I can email you. I want to send you better email. What should I send you?" They're a lot more likely to do that than they would if you're just randomly sending them an email, um, you know, months down the road or something like that. So I think that's 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 what most people are doing. Is they're doing some combination of you get the new subscriber survey up, but then you re you probably use the same survey, but you just phrase it differently uh, for an existing subscriber. And then you just send a few broadcasts uh, to your email list, trying to get them to do it. And then you you do soft mentions in your in your newsletters until they actually complete the survey.
1: By the way, I am obsessed with the conditional element. of just going to add in it in. Uh, you can do that with conditional tags on different places. Again, we are uh, Comrade Buddies, so I guess that's kind of where also my head went. But other are are other. A lot of other great email platforms allow you to do that. And I think it's, if you are a bit more advanced and you feel a bit more confident about what we're talking about, that's definitely something worth exploring. And we do that just to give uh, our listener an example as well. We do it with our certification. When it's up, we like to have a bit of a more of a bigger banner uh, within our normal newsletter. But I'm almost like our current graduates will not mind that. But I'm like, if they don't see it, not so the end of the world. is probably better. Is It's nicer. Is neater. So having a conditional block in this case, that is this, let's say, banner, that is not there if they have a specific tag. That's how it works, at least on an easier level in ConverKit. That's the easiest way to do it in ConverKit, if they have a tag or if they don't. So I love that. I have one follow-up question, and then I promise I'll get to the second question, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, right? But I just know that we don't talk about personalization enough and having you here, it, it's a great opportunity. And the other question is, preambled by just me explaining how we do segmenting, just to give, especially the listeners that have been listening for a while, an idea of the behind the scenes on our side. There's different things that we do, different tags and segments we create. My favorite, for example, to be very honest, is based on the fact that we're a school and we don't, and we welcome all different types of marketers. It can be a positive and an injury in a way that is very specific on the values, the vibe, the energy, and the goal of our marketers. They're very specific people in that respect. But they end up being different type of marketers. We just can't fight it. So that's how we niche down. And so my favorite way to segment, which we are can be better at, but we are better than what we used to be, is basically who they are. Because based on who they are, their goals and their needs are going to be different and the products that we serve are different. So, again, any listener that is part of our crew might have seen things like, are you a freelancer? Are you an agency owner? Are you a creator? New marketers as well came up. And I think it goes back to my question now is something that we learned by giving an option for other, and that's what came up. So we're like, oh, we're missing this one. Let's add it. So that's how we segment as the main kind of type behavioral segmentation that there are many others, but I think there's a very foundational one for us. If we get to know that at the beginning, it really helps us making things more personalized. What would be maybe one or two more examples just for people that are starting out and they're like, Why should I segment? Should I do demographics? Should I do location? I think there's so many more powerful ways that we can do that based on our needs. So if you have any one or two ideas, I think that would be great just to add more to that.
2: Yeah, so you have like the traditional demographic slash firmographic segmentation stuff that I think a lot of people, I would look at it as like the boardroom segmentation. So you're gonna gonna show your investors a little chart that says 32% of people are in the UK 18% are in the US, you know, that kind of thing, right? And that would be like stuff like age range, gender identity, that that kind of stuff, right? Like that's that's stuff that usually doesn't actually probably affect anything we're doing. Like would you actually send people who are 20 different content about marketing than people who are 40? Like probably not. (laughs) So I don't actually, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of segmentation. The, The thing that I really like to focus on is two things. So why are you here? And who are you? And the who is going to change. And like a B2B sense, it would be industry, or what's your job role? Or, you know, how, at what stage is your company at? In your case, it's like, are you a freelance marketer? Are you in-house? Are you working with an agency? Um, you know, that that's kind of the who thing, right? And then you can drill deeper into that too. Like, let's say you find out that they are in-house, like, well, are they looking to go out on their own? Are they looking to maybe switch to a different company? Let's say they're solo, like they're they're marketing their own business. I don't know. I, I assume you capture that somehow too. Then you could tra- probably drill further and, and find out like, well, is the issue that like they have a bit of a leaky bucket that they have like people coming to their website, but no one's buying or joining their email list or whatever else, like f- try to capture information about okay so i know a bit about like your your situation but okay you're a freelance marketer so what what's the issue like why are you checking out alt marketing school right like and and dig deeper into that and then you could also capture i I, I love capturing data about what have they tried so far so in your case it would be like how are you currently learning how to like do marketing better like what what have you done and and, and try to capture as succinctly, succinctly as possible what is it they've, they've tried and, and already done and so on. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like my end goal is I just want to get data that I can actually use to make their experience better. So it's not about the boardroom charts. It's about what can I learn about somebody that will make, make it so I can send them better examples. So for example, I want to give two quick examples real quick because these are kind of top of mind. So two people we've been working with uh, one is Justin Welsh helps people who want to be solopreneurs. And then there's another called Dan go who helps people with fitness. So with Dan, uh, you know, how I mentioned the whole, like gender thing, not usually be mattering. He, it matters for him because why it matters for him is that if you say you're a woman, you're probably not going to want to see a bunch of like fitness case studies about a bunch of dudes, right? <laughs> like like you want to see people who are like you, who you know, this course has been able to help. Likewise, if you're older, if you see all the example case studies are all people in their 20s, you might be thinking, oh, maybe this doesn't help me. So for something like that, he's capturing gender, age, range, like goal, lose weight, gain muscle, do you travel a lot for work, you know, that kind of information. He's able to then give them very specific onboarding. So when you join his list, if you travel a lot for work, You've got a family, you're a woman, you want to build muscle, and you're he finds out why, like and you want to do it for body confidence reasons. What happens is your welcome sequence is very styled into that, where it's about like, hey, I can help you, I know you're on the road a lot, so even if you don't have access to the best gyms, what i'm going to be sharing with you can still really help you, whereas if you didn't ever travel, you wouldn't see that messaging, and that's worked really, really well for him, and it's worked so well that not only is his engagement rate significantly higher, but in his newsletter he's linking to the the course in every newsletter and the description the call to action description changes depending on what those different data points I just um mentioned that we're collecting and there's actually three thousand three hundred and eighty five ways of describing his course, which it seems crazy, but when you think of like we're just changing like the first few words to be based on this. And the next few words be based on that. And it all makes a nice few like paragraph description that's led to a 26% increase in overall engagement and sales, which is a big deal for him. So that's one example with Justin. What's been cool about that is that he's capturing things like, because he helps people on both LinkedIn and Twitter. And he also helps people who are coaches, course creators, service providers, people who make money with like partnerships and ads on their newsletter. And they all want to hear different things, right? When people join his list, he's asking them like, how do you make money? Are you more focused on audience growth or monetization? What have you tried before? And he's getting some great data that he's then using to personalize the way that he presents what he has to offer. And yeah, it's just, it's one of these things. Like, I think when it comes to the questions you want to ask, everything I just mentioned is there's no one right set of questions to ask, but ultimately like my rule of thumb is you need to be simple questions. You can't have like, what would you do to solve world peace or, to, you know, to, to or, or whatever. And then you have like 30 options that are each, like each answer is like a, three sentences long. That's just, that's overwhelming and no one's going to answer that. But if you can have short and punchy things, like you might even want to experiment with Alt marketing school to have, like you mentioned, freelancer, in-house, uh agency, all that kind of stuff. The more you can have, do you work for yourself or do you work for somebody else? Myself. Do you I work for somebody else? Cool. You work for somebody else? Are you at an agency? Are you at an in-house product team? You know, whatever, where it's very almost like conversational rather than it being a proper structured thing where it's just more of a think of it like a chat bot, but it's more of a survey type thing. Those tend to have really good engagement rates. I like surveys that I could I could complete after night at the pub. <laughs> like, I, if, if I were to come home after night of drinking, I should still be able to understand and complete the survey. So if it's too loaded, if it's too wordy, if it's too mentally overwhelming, that's what leads to people saying, you know, forget this. I'm closing the tab and not doing this. We've seen this time and time again across our entire customer base. At right Message, we're sitting on 13 million survey uh, responses that we've analyzed heavily. And the common thing is short, punchy questions with very easy to answer answers and questions that are not probing, like, you know, how much money do you make or something like that, but are instead focused on them and, and how you're then able to help.
1: It's kind of a thread that I see within the conversation all about how can I better serve you? And that's kind of what really speaks to me. And I think when you think about questions that way, first of all, it's also goldmine when it comes to any type of market research survey that people do, because whenever we talk to our students, especially in our certification, we talk about audience personas and within that market research is a big part of it. And I can see that they're a bit skeptical or, and they feel like surveys can feel very overwhelming for them even just to create. And as a result of that, as you say, all the things that work, I see that they struggle to do that, like keeping it simple, keeping it concise. But I love the idea as well of making it a flow, which if anybody has experience or seen right message, that's how you do it. You know, one then will lead conditionally to the others. And I think even if you do that with a more uh, static survey or like just like a normal survey, instead of having just random questions all plonked into one place, if they follow a flow, as you say, it feels more like naturally we'll go into the next step and I don't know. I think we're not prodded to think about it unless we have a tool like right message that would, you know, allow us to create that conditional journey, which I love. Now, I'm going to get into the second question, by the way, <laughs> just about. <laughs> um, after we extracted all of this amazing knowledge from you, and by the way, thank you for a couple of tips that I'm going to also take on for the school. Appreciate that. About a framework or a tactic or something that you have learned from somebody else that really stood out for you. What would that be?
2: Yeah. So we already talked about Kathy Sierra, which is like a mark. She's a marketing hero of mine. She's incredible. And I, without getting too deep into her stuff, like it's horrible what happened to her with like online trolls and stuff like that. And I miss seeing her as a voice on the internet. But anyway, one of the, um, one of the things from her that's stuck out with me from, I mean, she, she probably wrote this 15 years ago on her blog. She was blogging way back before. I think a lot of us were uh, even reading blogs or anything like that. The thing she, she wrote, it was, I forgot the article, but it was a comparison of like old marketing with new marketing. And the old marketing was if we outspend, we win. Whereas the new marketing is if we outteach, we win. And I know that stuff, like if you, if you follow like Seth Godin or whatever, we all know this, like we've all heard a lot of this. That was so like, because I always think like, am I, Even with my own newsletter, I'm like, is is what I'm sending too dense? Too teachy? To should I be doing more like sizzly, salesy stuff that like is like a really compelling story? And if you actually want to learn something, you got to buy my thing. But I've seen time and time again, both for myself and with a lot of my friends who do this kind of thing, the more I give away, the better it is for everyone involved, including myself. I don't know if that's a framework per se, but I think when you really think about like the old model of like dazzle and like, oh you can have the Lamborghini and the giant mansion, but buy my thing. I'm very against that. I'm very against kind of the internet marketing way of doing things. And I think one, one concern I had when I started doing like selling my own courses and products online was, am I, am I an internet marketer? Am I doing all of that stuff I hate? And um, I think having followed people like Kathy and others who who had that like when we out-teach, we win mentality, that led me to realize that if I can just help people out legitimately and then provide ways that they can pay me to get more help, better help, more specific help, maybe even me or my team doing everything that I'm talking about for them, we all win. Because again, you can pay me nothing, but still get a lot for me, or you can pay me a lot, and get a lot more from me. And if, if I can build an entire business around that, I'm happy. So I think like I, I credit Kathy to planting that seed originally, and then others like Seth for helping water that. But yeah, that's, that would, that would be it, I think.
1: I love that. I love that actually ties back with something I was thinking about for our third question of class in session, which is all about unlearning and one of the reasons why I'm thinking about this is because actually being true to what you said and this kind of mindset, almost even more than a framework that Kathy kind of like imparted to you in one way. Then you also wrote a book, a book that is very much about, you know, the power of personalization. So it's one of the core things that you do and you'll, you want to be known for and you are known for. So thinking about this is personal as well. And this, the answer to this question right now might not be related to the book, but I wanted to ask about unlearning. And as a fellow author myself, we're talking about it from self-published to publish myself with my second book. I learned so much from that experience, but I also unlearned a lot of things because it is, it can be counted as a product. For me, I wanted to be a writer since I was 10. Stephen King was my hero. That's how, that's how awkward I am. And, you know, so I was like, yes, I got that. I mean, nonfiction, but I'll take it. So, you know, I learned a lot of things about expectations and also about, you know, sometimes just getting the things done. And then, you know, you talked about your book being like five years in the making. Mine was similar experience and just serendipitously happened. And I think a book is also a great way to out-teach people. Is a great way to actually share so much for a more nominal price and just share your experience, your learning and your lessons and then be like, and if you want me to do this for you or with you, that's a different side of the journey. So this is a bit of a roundup way to ask the question. And maybe again, the answer is not about the book. I'm just going to pop it in there. I want to see if there's any lessons also from, this is personal as well. But the traditional question is, what is something that you haven't learned recently? And is this maybe related to this stage of your journey
2: as an author as well? Does it need to be recently? Because I have something that that was a big.
1: Yeah. No. No. Go on. Go on. We can go back. Okay. We can go into. I think. Really. Okay.
2: So let, let me. I didn't really talk about this yet. But my my background, uh, in between thinking I'd become a classics professor to selling online courses and stuff, I was I was a software engineer. So after uni, I got into programming. It was very big that I wanted to now be a proper software developer, developer engineer type. The thing I had to unlearn, I think, was when I, I had built my first, I started up an agency. It did well. This was about 11, 12 years ago. It did well. I got kind of bored with client work. So I started my, soft, my first software business called Planscope. So I'm, I run Right Message now, but before that, I had another, another software business that I've since sold called Planscope. In building that up, I realized that a lot of the people who were following Planscope, They didn't just want project management software because that's what it was. They wanted help on like pricing and how do I get clients and proposal writing and things like that, that I thought were way out of scope. I'm like, I I sell project management software. I'm a developer. I'm not going to write like an ebook for you on pricing. But I was so fixated on the medium or the method that I, I really internally struggled against Going out of what I consider to be out of scope like i 'm a software company i don't do this i 'm a software company i don't do that, so I think the thing that i've gotten i've had to unlearn is that i' don't, I no longer primarily identify with the medium of what I sell with with the right message, even this is a recent thing with the right message or a software business. We always had so many people who would do a demo and they'd see the product and they'd be like, This is really cool, I could see us using it but We don't have the time, or we'll come back to it, or or we've got a, a few other things we need to work on before we're ready for it. And I would close that conversation by saying, "Cool, we'll be here when you need us, right?" And then I started to think a few months back, like, "Well, what if we just said, like, what if we do it all for you? What if I just provide an agency behind the product? Because some people they want the outcome, but they don't want to learn software, they don't want to figure out how it works and try it and all that kind of stuff." But I was so, again, once again, I was so convinced that I am a software company like software companies don't do that or at least I thought and I think like the big thing that I try to convey to others is if you're a course creator let's say don't just focus about don't get so obsessed about your course or your courses some people want the outcome and they might want to throw money at you to get that outcome some people want it want a different met maybe a different like done with you method like a group workshop type thing or something where it's like a and we've seen that with the cohort courses that have been coming up, especially since COVID. The the sooner most of us can detach ourselves from thinking, I sell courses, I sell software, I sell books, I sell freelancing you know, services or whatever. And the more we can think kind of full spectrum about some people want to do it yourself, some people want done for you, some people want done with you, the better. Because you're able to then cater to a lot of different types of people who might, for whatever reason, be more of a, I want to try it on my own. Versus I just want to throw money at the problem and have it go away. Yeah, that's something I've had to unlearn kind of recently. That's something I unlearned a decade ago for another in another context. And that's something I still constantly struggle with, which is the, the framing of what it is I'm selling and getting too focused on the product itself.
1: I think it's really interesting. And I like that you share that because it speaks to how we have evolved as well in the way that we realized that we could have gone two different ways. We could have been obviously just the school or we can understand who do we want to be known for as myself and as the school. And we had a similar experience to yours very recently in this year where a lot of people came to me and they were like, listen, I love the idea of the type of marketing you're teaching, but I ain't got time to learn it. I, I ain't got time to have been thinking about it. Can you do it for me? And once again, similar to you, the resistance came up because consulting work is something that I can do. I've been doing that's one of my past lives, but obviously I wanted to focus more on the school. And I was like, yeah, but if I get the right people in from more discerning with the clients that I bring in and I really zero in into what can we offer that is unique to us, that is in line with how do we want to be known, then what's the harm in that? So it was similar in that respect where especially when it comes to some of these decisions i appreciate that if it's just an idea of launching something new or going another direction that doesn't have any market research or because that's what some of our clients i have to talk out of just launching something with no data you know that's the other problem but when literally people are asking for something and or especially in this case they were like i literally just want to give you this to do and if it feels right as you say it's going against the ego of being like is it worth the while exploring so it kind of speaks to me very personally because we are the same experience this year and it has been proven to be a good decision because it kind of follows the different ways that you can help people with the same thing but in different capacities as well, which I absolutely love. Now we come to our this or that, our quick fire. Uh, before we close up our chat, Brian, I'm going to give you some options and I would like you to choose one or the other. Are we ready?
2: Are you segmenting me?
1: Yeah, I'm segmenting. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> that is the bad I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. I do it for everybody, but this is so no. apt for you. I'm, I'm getting really Segment chuffed me. by that. Run
2: me, run me through. Se- okay. Yeah.
1: Very, very important segmenting. You will see it's, it's very top level. Spotify playlist or podcast?
2: Uh, Spotify.
1: Voice notes or texts? Texts. Now, this one might be... I don't know if it's relevant, but we'll see. We're going to go on an Instagram journey. Carousels or reels, but you can also look at it as carousels or videos if Instagram is not your thing.
2: I don't use Instagram at all. I guess videos because I, I like YouTube, maybe.
1: Perfection. Yeah. That yeah. that works as well. That works. You can always do carousels on LinkedIn, but I'm not really into those. So I might know the answer for the next one. TikTok or YouTube.
2: YouTube. Never use TikTok. I don't even know what that is. I, I know kids use it, but um, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then this one, I might on the answer anyway, since what we've been talking about for the past hour. Newsletter or X?
2: Oh, you mean Twitter. Um, newsletter.
1: <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then the final one, which if I were segmenting, this will be the one, this will be the, like, the, the, two, yeah. the two options that are most important for me memes or gifs that's the one that's the golden one
2: uh let's see say memes it's okay it's okay it's okay. Oh, I'll, I'll also forgot that you <laughs> said gif instead of jeff so.
1: <laughs> that's why That's threw you off as well yeah, yeah um i'm a big um gif or gifs fan so but again a gif can be turned into a meme you have a so, meme so that's i'll
2: a G- that yeah you could have an animated meme
1: so, you know, they can work yeah. together, so I'll yeah. take that. So well done. Well done. I put you on the spot, but you did really well. I have one final question for you, kind of like a closing question before uh, we say bid our goodbyes and tell people to find out more, which is based on what we talked about today and anything else in between, Brennan, if you could broadcast one message onto everyone's phone, because we are giving you that power to do that. Cool. One message. What would that say?
2: Everyone, everyone, or just listeners, of the, every, everyone who, who listens to this podcast or 8 billion people on the planet?
1: 8 billion people on the planet. Oh. Give them the right message. See what I did there. <laughs> what would it be?
2: Be kind. I don't know. I mean, that sounds straight, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I have I like no idea that. what I'd say to everyone on the planet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but everybody could do with a bit more kindness. So I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. That's a good, good. So what good would you say to the catch? listeners then? By the way, I'm curious now because I think you kind of had something for the listeners. What would you say to the listeners instead?
2: I'd say uh, if you're a marketer and you're like me and you've sold things in person to people. But you're also like me and you've done online marketing where you've got like broadcast style things, try to find the middle ground. Whereas I don't know what it would be in. I know it is, in Latin it would be the media vita I don't or via. I don't know what that is in modern Italian, but like the... The middle ground between low-touch sales like online broadcast marketing and high-touch individual one-on-one sales. If you can find that middle ground, you'll connect better with people and you'll get a lot of the same benefits you would get from a one-on-one discussion, but at scale.
1: Love it. That's what we say, by the way, all the time, whenever I do an email marketing workshop or even in our email marketing lab, I always say emails have the capacity of touching people individually at scale is such a powerful thing exactly. and but you can't do it so many different ways to
2: i can't i can't tweet or x or whatever they call it uh in a way that says only show only show this to people who are self-identified marketers You can do that with email so very true
1: very very true brennan thank you so much again i feel like i literally crawled you so thank you so so much for being here with us today of course. thanks for having me you. yeah if people want to find out more about you and they you don't know what will be the next steps. What will be a couple of next steps you would direct them to?
2: Start with Create and Sell, which is my newsletter. That's createandsell.co. If you want to check out the book, I'd love for you to check out the book. Uh, that's at thisispersonalbook.com, which is, then just links to like Amazon and all the places you can buy it. Where you can find me probably on Twitter or X, uh, just Brennan Dunn, B-R-E-N-N-A-N-D-U-N. Thank
1: you so, so much again. Thank you so much to the listener. As always, Brennan mentioned that too, but be kind to yourself and others. And remember, true marketing speaks to hearts, not just minds. And until next time, class dismissed.